some companies are all of them not prisoner friendly. Most of them are. Most of them are. But the thing is, you have to have a you have to have a track record of staying out of trouble. Cause see, they wouldn't mess with me until I, you know, I had to show them I've been out for four or five years. Okay. Like, okay, well, we'll take a chance on you, and which they did. Within three years of release, two out of three ex-offenders are rearrested. Clearly, something is broken. It's time we strategize ways to prevent repeat offenses. Our brainstorming session starts now. Welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon podcast. I'm your host, Michi J. Today, we're finishing up my interview with Leslie McCain. Last week, we had an incredible interview. He spoke about the steps that he took once he got out of prison and actually some things that he did before he got out of prison as well. So I want to continue that conversation because he's going to be talking about now how he came to be a truck driver. Again, a lot of people that's locked up, they want to become truck drivers. This is the interview to listen to. Let's go right into my interview with Leslie part two. I started out with, and I don't advise nobody to go here because I'm not giving them no advertisement because they were actually the worst company ever. I started out with CR England. And um, (laughs) sorry to any CR England people out there that's listening. Sorry. (laughs) But But it just wasn't a good fit for me. Okay. Now, I I had an opportunity to go somewhere else, Mm -hmm. but I didn't, I was going to go to YRC. But I didn't want to go. I, what they do is they train you and all that stuff, but you have to go work on a, a dock first. Mm-hmm. You work on a dock and you work on a dock for a while and then you work your way up to driving. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to start driving immediately. Okay. So that's how I wound up with CR Engel. I stayed with them for a little while. I was on the contract for, I think it was a year, okay. nine months or a year. I can't quite remember. But I stayed with them, completed my contract, and then I went somewhere else. I went to, uh, I've been to, I don't know, three or four other companies. So what, so, so my question is like, it doesn't matter that you have a background and be able to drive trucks. So that's not going to be an issue. Is that true? Uh, Let me see. Some companies are, all of them not prisoner friendly. Mm -hmm. Most of them are, most of them are. But the thing is you have to have a, you have to have a track record of staying out of trouble. Cause see, they wouldn't mess with me until I, you know, I had to show them I've been out for four or five years. Okay. Like, okay well, we'll take a chance on you. And which they did. Okay. And then once you get your door, once you get your foot in the door with one company and you got a good attendance, your CDL is good, meaning you don't have a lot of accidents or incidents on your CDL. You're not getting a lot of tickets and all that stuff. Once you get your foot in one company and you stay there for a while, you can go anywhere. Cause they see, okay, well, this guy was here or this guy was here. And they did fantastic. No issues, no problems. Yeah, we'll take a chance with them as well, him or her. Wow. So, you know, that makes you sense. Just got to get your foot. Yeah, you just got to get this all about just getting your foot in the door. So what other things like will someone with a record have to watch for? Like, what did you do when you were starting to get good attendance and making sure nothing hits your CDL? What other things do they need to watch for? Is it, don't they need to watch for things on their regular license as well? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because if uh, you're okay. So like a CDL is one license. So it allows you to drive a truck and a personal vehicle. Oh, okay. So if you get a, if I was to get a ticket 
in my personal vehicle, especially speeding tickets, you got to really watch that. If I was to get a speeding ticket, I had to report it to my company and then they will, um, you know, I, I never got one, but I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the process is, what they do. They might suspend you or whatever. I'm not sure. I can't say, but I do have to report a, any kind of activity. I have to report it to my company because right now I, I do hazmat. So mm -hmm. they can't have me speeding all over the place, reckless. And I've got these dangerous chemicals in this tank. Wow. You know, so they want to know that kind of stuff. So it's, it's the same thing as with a truck. You just have to keep your stuff clean. That's what a clean license means. Do no. they sh should they keep their license clean during that time before they even go to school and get the CDO? Did that? Um, if you can, if you okay. can, as long as you don't have like a okay. Because when I went in, when I first started driving, well, when I first signed up to go to the school that I went to, mm -hmm. I had a speeding ticket, and the, I was like seventeen miles over the speed limit. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, they, you know, they, cause they're going to ask you everything. They investigate everything. So don't go in that line because <laughs> they're going to ask you all of your vitals, you know, social security, your address. They want to know all your vitals and they're going to go check. So uh, I wasn't no sense of lying about the ticket. So I told him, he was like, how, how fast over the limit were you going? I said, it was about 17, 18 miles. He was like, ah, okay, that ain't, we ain't going to worry about that. That's not bad. Mm -hmm. But he did tell me, he said, listen, you can't do that in the truck. You know, now that one, we'll let that pass because you, you're not a truck driver yet. But if you get that in a truck, it'd be totally different. Wow. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, that was just something for me to, you know, keep my, you know, keep in the back of my mind to okay. watch my speed. Okay. Okay. Hmm. That's good to know for someone. Like I said, I know people that's in prison now that want to drive trucks. That's something mm -hmm. they they looking to do because I know it's it it's a very stable job, it seems like, and it's they make quite a bit of money. So it is and, very stable. Yeah, and that's what they, they want and need. And so what else should what other things can you tell them about lifestyle, your mentors or spiritual things like to make sure that they can just have some sort of blueprint. You already gave some excellent points already, but I yeah. wanted to dwell into your mind some more. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So what I had to do was uh, I got rid of all of my old friends. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm serious. I had to. I couldn't because they still ripping and running and all that stuff like that. So I can't. It's, it's, we got this it's like a little phrase and we say you can't have one foot in and one foot out. So what that means is, okay, now I want to change my life but I'm still going, hanging out on the block. <laughs> and you, I, you, I, that's just not permitted. You know, if you're trying to change your life, you're really trying to change your life. So I had to put forth that a valiant effort to change my life. So I stopped hanging out. Prison is, as large as people think it is, is very small. It's a very small community. Hmm. And people know, you know, they can look you up on the internet and all that stuff, and they know when you're coming home. Oh. So they was going by, yeah, they was going by my, they was going by my sister's house, my parents' house, trying, hey, where your brother at? We know you're home, all this old kind of stuff like this. Hey, looking for you? <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody knew that I had, nobody knew that I had changed uh -huh. or starting the process. So when I came home, I went to a, a halfway house. Okay. And I had a curfew and all that. They put me on an ankle monitor. So my uh, movement was limited and restricted. So anything that I wanted to do, I had to get permission. Okay. You know, so, which was actually like, I don't know, some people may look at it differently, but I thought it was a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I think 
Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but I think all should come out and go into the halfway house to get acclimated yeah. before they hit the street. I thought, yeah, it yeah. was a it was a really good thing because mm -hmm. what it taught me, what it taught me was what I did not want to do again. <laughs> Seriously, you know, I'm like, okay, well, j jail moving forward is no longer on is no longer an option. So how do I keep myself out of jail? Okay, no more. I got to change my friends. That's okay. the first thing. I had to change all my friends. So I was saying, guys, oh, where I was, I see no, I don't see nobody no more because I live in the suburbs now. But I'm going back and forth to work, and people be like, "Hey, man, hey, why you don't, you know, why you not this, why you not that?" So after a while, people got tired of asking me that because <laughs> my answer was the same. Man, I'm, I'm not doing this no more, man. I'm gonna do something else. <laughs> Keeping it real. Absolutely. So once uh. You know, people got tired of asking me that because they saw that, okay, well, this guy might be serious. You know, because this is, this is, this, might be serious. <laughs> right. He might be serious. Because look, this is all foreign territory. It's all new to me. Well, it's not new now. But when I first started this clean journey, it was all new because I started getting high at like 13 years old. Wow. And the only time I wasn't getting high was if I was locked up. And sometimes I had drugs in jail. <laughs> Wow. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, yeah. like to to come from that and then just start like, okay, I'm done with it. I'm not getting high no more. I'm not hanging out in the streets. I'm I had been quit gangbanging. Even on the streets, I wasn't doing that. But I said I'm not I can't even be around them. That's interesting. So this was you gave a lot of good pointers when someone is out. You did say while you was in, you had a sponsor. So what other behaviors or what can people do while they're still inside besides finding a mentor, a spiritual advisor, some sort of sponsor? Gotta stay away from that. Gotta stay away from that dumb stuff. That dumb stuff in prison. See, mm -hmm. like, that's where it all starts because that is the testing ground. Huh. If you can change in prison, you can change in the streets. Because that goes back to what I was telling you, how small of a community prison is. Oh. So that was my testing ground. That's why I had this, like, okay, I'm, I need to try this out here. I'm not going to take this to the street and try it. I'm going to try it out here. And, of course, people, they looking at you like, oh, look at this dude. People probably talking crap about you all behind <laughs> your back and all that, which is fine. Which is fine. You have to go through that. You have to go through that because that will build, I promise you, that's going to build, that's going to give you the thick skin that you need to survive out here. Because you got to have thick skin out here. Because if you got that, if you don't got thick skin out here, you're going to fall back victim into that same mentality that kept you, kept your wheels spinning in the first place. Wow. That is a great point. It's it's a training ground right then and there to develop it is, thick it is. skin. It, it, hmm. And if people don't, a lot of folks that, if you can talk to, you can talk to a lot of people who come home from prison and most of them would tell you, yeah, I started in there. I didn't wait till I got out here. I started in there. I started reading more. I started going to church. I started Bible studying. Any kind of programs to take my mind off of what's going on around here so I don't get myself caught up into none of this nonsense, none of this foolishness. So, Because mm -hmm. that's what I had to do. And people who, even though I was in a, uh, I went to a drug facility, I still, surprisingly, there were people down there that I knew from the streets and I was locked up in other penitentiaries with years before. I was like, wow. They were still you there? 
Okay. No, 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 no. They had came down there themselves. Oh. You know, they came down themselves for whatever reason. Okay. Most of them came down there because in Illinois, they done changed. I think it's, they done went to 22 and 4 where you locked up 22 hours of this. That's so it was something like that. So a lot of guys was like, oh, they out all day down there. So I'm going down there. Hmm. So that, that's, you get a lot of people that come through there for that, which oh. is fine. No, no, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. We had people in the program who was just like, man, F this, F that, man, y'all don't need this, da, 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 da. And those people are fantastic for the program because that's a reminder of who you were, where you come from, and where you don't want to go back to. So they are equally important. Wow, what an insight, Leslie, to say that people that's obviously there for the wrong reasons and going to be disruptive is actually helping you to see the foolishness or how you used to think. Man, I'm telling you, Misha J, listen, (laughs) when you get, when I got a chance to look at myself from the outside, from the inside looking out, I did not like what I saw. Wow. I did not like what I saw. I was just, I was like, man, there's no way moving forward that you're going to ever attract the people that you're trying to attract with this kind of attitude or, or this kind of behavior. Wow. So that's, you know, that's where everything started from. Wow. That's just interesting. So you got, you have a lot of interesting points. I like when you said that when you got sick and tired, you was ready, but you had never even experienced a, a somewhat stable life you because you went in as you started as a early teen so you really had no experience in adult life to be responsible so like what did you see did you see someone that you wanted to be like or what kind of motive some sort of model besides your who was that my father wow okay he was always my model, even though I bucked him. That man, the, the man instilled some some extremely great values in me. So him and my mother, more so him, some extremely great values. And along the way, I met, like I say, like my mentors and sponsors now, who also helped cultivate. But they only they only provided me with insight to make a lot of those values that my father had already instilled with me. They just brought them back out. They were always there. They just brought them back out of me. Right. That's good to to know. But if you don't have a if you don't have a parent or you know, because I know everybody don't have parents. Mm -hmm. So, but that's the that's why I say it's important. Because see, I think, and this is just me. This is just my own personal opinion. Okay. Like we got people who look to like Hollywood and like all these entertainers for Um. role to be role models. You don't even know these people. Mm. You don't know them. You need somebody in your life who you can physically touch. And what I mean by touch, you can maybe touch their arm, but you can call them. And they will sit down with you and take time out for you. You need somebody like that. I, I get it. You know, you might can admire someone. That's fine. But that person should not be your role model. Hmm. You know, a role model is somebody who you can who will sit down and take time with you. Hmm. And that's just, like I said, it's just my opinion. I think that's hmm. a good opinion. That way. So, and also when you first started going off the rails, what do you, <laughs> I like that <laughs> going, off the, going off the rails. I like that. Oh, uh, so what, Go ahead. what did I, what, what was you, I know it's, it was a long time ago and you know, teenagers, you really just starting to develop mentally and stuff and you really don't have 
a good take on life. You're thinking you're like kind of invincible and stuff. So was it anger that kind of drove you off the rails or was it curiosity or you wanted to be a anger? Anger? So listen, yes. Mm -hmm. So let, listen, let me, let me, I'm going to tell you how it's anger. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I messed up and, and uh, joined the street gang, all them guys is mad. Not all of them, but a, a vast majority of them are mad at something. So I was a young kid, and I was hanging out around all of these older guys, even though some of them may have been teenagers themselves, but, you know, they were still older than I was, mm -hmm. you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years older than me. And I'm hanging around these guys, and I'm listening at these stories and all this stuff like this. And then so I started developing their traits. <laughs> Really? Man, you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. Pardon the pardon the expression. It's just an expression. So they were mad so and you, you got mad too because they were mad. And didn't even know what I was mad for. <laughs> what? I had no idea why I was mad. <laughs> I'm serious. Because I didn't grow up. <laughs> I didn't grow up like that. I didn't grow up like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. So I wanted to be like these guys. So I started acting and thinking like them. Hmm. You know, and that was the catalyst, so to speak, to like a lot of my bad behavior, mm -hmm. you know, because I felt like, um, I don't know, I, I I just felt that I, in order for me to fit in, that I had to do it this way. I had to talk like this or be like this or walk like this. You know what I mean? Right. And all the time I was doing myself a disservice and didn't even, well, somebody had pointed that out to me, some, like some, a good friend of mine years ago. He was like, man. Uh, I think you're making a mistake, but you're your own guy. We was, we was, I was probably 17 at the time. He said, I think you're making a mistake, uh, but you're your own man. I'm, uh, you're going to have to figure it out yourself. So he graduated high school and went to the armed forces. And uh, I had a chance to go to the armed forces. I was going to go to the Marines. Mm -hmm. And I failed the test on purpose. What? <laughs> <laughs> you always doing something okay go ahead <laughs> i failed the test on purpose because i really didn't want to go uh -huh. my father came from the, he came from the military so he was like man look i think you know and you always want to please your father uh -huh. you know and we had they had this program in school it was a, the rotc program uh -huh. and it was a, a recruitment program for the armed forces my dad was like that'd be a great choice for you and so he went to naming off a lot of the benefits Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And then he said, uh, now is the time to go during peacetime. That's when you want to go. Mm -hmm. you, know, you don't want to go during wartime. You go during peacetime. So uh, I was like, okay. And then I went and talked to the recruit and all this stuff like that. And we set it up to come down. I went downtown Chicago somewhere to take the test. Mm -hmm. And I was like, when I was looking at it, I'm like, man, I was already apprehensive. Like, oh, I don't really know if I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went down there and I failed a test. <laughs> and the guy, the, he told me, he, the recruiter told me, he was like, man, I don't know. I think you're a little brighter than this. You want to take the test again? I was like, eh, no, I don't feel like it, man. I'm going to say, okay, you really don't really, you just really don't want to go. That's what that says. Right. You know, why are you wasting our time? Just who, who did you, you know, he was asking who did I do it for and all that. I, I ain't tell him that because it ain't none of his business. Mm -hmm. you know? So I, I went home and and my father was like, hey, man, so how'd it go? I was like, oh, I, I failed the test. He was like, you what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I failed a written exam. Oh, he was like, huh. 
That's all he said was, huh? But I know he knew. Can't, you know. Can't, can't fool your can't, Yeah, you can't, fool, you can't fool your parents. We think we do. You can't fool our parents. So when, our next question is, so when, I, I heard you say it about from two people, your dad and your friend that said, you have to figure it out yourself because we, I have people coming to me sometimes because they know I deal with prison reform and I have this podcast and stuff. And they were like, what would you, what do you say? What can you do for their nephew, their son or whatever that's rebelling right now? That's in that mm-hmm. sort of cycle. So right. would you say, tell them the same thing because they're throwing money, they're going around in circles, but you know, what you said, like they have to be ready to change. So what, right. what do you tell uh, people that's like, really yeah. looking for answers to help their loved ones when they're doing that? Unfortunately, there's nothing that I, there's nothing that you can say to them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because they already know the people who are in the lifestyle and, whatever, they already know. Some people are in it for the thrill or the curiosity, whatever you want to call it. And some people, this is them. This is what they're here to do. Mm-hmm. Who are not here to do that, those are the ones we're trying to grab a hold to. Oh, I like right? that. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we have to let them go through that cycle. Unfortunately. But what you can do is keep mentoring, keep giving them the tools that they need. They, you may think they're not listening, but they hear you. And then one day, one day it will click. One day it will click. Hmm. I like that because sometimes they, they're, I don't, they're enabling this. This is some people that's in. That is, yeah. Now that enabling thing, you're not helping. Yeah, and they, you're they're, yeah, and it's, it's, it's easier to enable than really be, have do effective things. And I told them to you know, hey, stop just giving out money and for lawyers and stuff. And if you do it, just connect it to yeah, just connect it to some sort of yeah, just sort of kind of connect it. If they're gonna do that, but connect it to some sort of responsibility they have to do because nobody gets free money, you know, you have to work for it. So you giving it to them, they don't they don't appreciate it. So you have to connect it to something that they have to do, not just pay it back, but go through some sort of program or put something in front of them to get the monies to be able to do that. Because like you said, Leslie, I see that all the time. They just not, they're just not ready. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the streets got a hold to a lot of, especially our young people Hmm. got a, got a hold to a lot of young people because everybody think that stuff is so cool. Until they get themselves in trouble. Let me tell you a prison story. I was in uh, maximum security, and this young kid had, I think, 70 or 80 years, something like that. I, wow. I can't remember. But it was a lot of time. Wow. And this was a kid. He couldn't have been no more than 20, 21. Hmm. And he, one night, it just hit him. The dude went to screaming and yelling, woke up everybody. I'm thinking his celly up there beating the crap out of him. Uh-huh. And so we found out that uh, he had he he had was having a dream, and the dream said that he was never going home again. Wow! You know, and I was like, man. I, I mean, my heart was, I was, mm. and even though I was still doing my thing, 
But to see somebody hurt like that, it's like, wow, man, nobody told nobody told you what what could happen. They just let you come in and then nobody tell you, hey, this is a possibility or that's a possibility. See, that's the problem with a lot of these kids, especially like these older folks who trying to lure these kids into this thing. They don't tell them. They just show them the glitz and the glamour. If you was to tell them, hey, man, look, there's a possibility that uh, you might get life in prison or you could end up shot to death or something like that. I don't know. It might deter a few people. <laughs> you know, it might deter a few people. You know, but nobody does that. They're like, oh, man, look, I'm getting this money. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And that's how they that's how they lure. That's how they lure a lot of these. Wow. Um, what a lot a, of these youngsters into this. That's just so that's such a sad story for someone that young. Then yeah. it, it just hit them. You yeah. never going home. I mean, yeah. that oh, it's wonder he don't to, lose his mind. So they now now to that to that point, they took him a couple of days later for a psych evaluation and then they transferred him out and put him in a psych ward. They had him on suicide watch while he was there before his transfer, and then they sent him to a psych ward because they didn't want him to end up hanging himself and all that kind of stuff like that. This thing is this thing ain't no joke. A lot of people think it's a game, but it's not no joke. It's not no joke. Really. Wow, this is. But let me. Okay. I want to add one more thing to the enabling, the uh, enabling thing. Yeah. You know, like to the, and moms and girlfriends are very good at this. <laughs> Now, girlfriends, I get it. You know, they love their guy. But mothers and fathers, man, don't stop it. Stop it. You got to give them some tough love. Because if he can, if I know that I can go out here and commit whatever crime I want, do whatever I want, don't no responsibility, no accountability on my part, and then I get myself in a jam and I can, hey, I can call my mother, I can call my father, they're going to bond me out or get me a lawyer. Man, I ain't no incentive for me to stop doing nothing wrong. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's, and, you know, they're sending me money for commissary and all this. That ain't no incentive for me to not to stop. But I know when I, because I, like I said, when I first got locked up, when I, I think I was like 16 or 17, I went in for 30 days. And, but prior to that, I had been like, I just for a little small, silly stuff, I was locked, getting locked up in and out. And they was like, you know what, man, you, you hardhead. You ain't gonna learn. <laughs> so, no, we're not helping you. We're not helping you, man. I, couldn't call my mother's house and sometime every now and then she would let me call but for the most part she's like nah man you know <laughs> well your mom was giving you some tough love and that's good yeah. for her good for her yeah. so yeah. to wrap this up is there any last thing you want to say to the audience that you think that they would need to hear to to help them to either detour from coming to prison, like you gave a good example there, but just like what else would you give them as some sort of tips to think about? Here's the main one. This is the, ma this is the main and biggest tip that I can possibly give anybody. Mm -hmm. You have to have God in your life. Come on now. <laughs> you have to have God in your life. You cannot, I, well, I can't say what you can't do. I <laughs> cannot do this alone. And when I went to God sincerely, humbly, on my knees, and I told, I begged him for help. Huh. I begged him for help. Like, Lord, I don't know. I don't got myself in a jam. I don't want to live like this no more. Sincere. Please help me figure this thing out. And lo and behold, 
people stop. Like I said, the sponsor, a friend of mine that we was locked up, he was like, hey, man, I, I heard you trying to do this. Here's an address to these people. Write them and they'll send you somebody, you know, they'll send you a sponsor or at least somebody that'll be writing you back and forth. So that's how that's how that correspondence started. And that, I love uh, that. I love that. Go ahead. Yeah. So like I said, I went to God and asked him for help. Gotta have God. There's no, I mean, for me, I can't do nothing without him. So once I surrendered, they got the saying about surrendering in the program, but once <laughs> I surrendered to God, and mm-hmm. what I mean by surrender to God is, man, I stopped like, oh, I, you know, I, I got it all together. I know everything. I don't need God. I could do this by myself, blah, blah, blah. As soon as I knocked that off, help came immediately. <laughs> immediately. Wow. Because I humbled myself. You got to be, you know, I, I, and I get it. There's nothing wrong with being confident and all that, but confident no cockiness. Confidence is good, but not cocky, not arrogant, not conceited. Mm-hmm. I had to I had to humble myself. So once I humble myself, man, things changed for me all the way around the board. Wow. I live a great life right now. A great life. Making good money, living in a nice area in the suburbs of Illinois. Mm-hmm. You know, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I listen. I know I had to go through what I had to go through to get to where I am. I am so happy. You know, I am so happy. I'm so happy for you too, Leslie, that you are a product that people that's in prison need to, or that's out, just coming out or been out for a while just to listen to and just follow with the steps because you gave some great steps. Well, that completes my interview with Leslie McCain. I hope you heard both parts because both parts are very impactful. Now, my takeaways from this interview is I can't even put everything in here because he gave so many great steps. But the first takeaway is you need to start before you get out of prison and that is developing the thick skin. He talked about how you're going to have people in prison that's in a destructive mode. They're not preparing to be out of prison. Actually, they're preparing to stay in there. You develop the thick skin by being there with those people and them actually calling you names, just giving you grief because you're actually trying to do what you're supposed to do. So developing the thick skin is becoming immune to that, not letting it bother you. The second takeaway is the truck company's practices of hiring ex-felons. What he told us is it's going to take a few years because they want to see that you've been out a while. And if you've been out a while, they tend to want to hire you only then. The third takeaway is the halfway house. Leslie was in the halfway house and it actually helped him He said, help him stay out. So halfway houses is a great idea. And the fourth is being humble. Don't think you can do everything yourself. And I got this, I got this. Just like Leslie said, you need to humble yourself and ask for help, especially from God, because that's where he got his help from. Well, those were my takeaways. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the show. For more information on our guests and resources, visit prisonerspardon.com. If you're enjoying the content, follow, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, please be sure to leave a rating and review. Until next time, God bless.